This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Guys, uh, welcome to Church of the Harvest again. Um, if you're a, a guest with us, we thank you so much for joining us. Guys, we're just a family of Christ followers. Uh, we love God, and because of that, we love people, and we serve the world as the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, here is, is, is the Harvest family. We, we've just, God has brought us together, and we've recognized that we're stronger together than we are individually, and so we have chose, chosen to, to link arms and to fulfill God's purposes in the earth uh, together. At Harvest, we're a small expression of the body of Christ, and, um, and, and the vision of Harvest, if you're, if you're a, a member of the, of the Harvest family, what is our vision? Our vision is to make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. And we do that through what? Community, discipleship, and outreach. Guys, we are, um, we're currently going through and we're, we've been discussing our identity and, and our responsibility as those in the family of God. We're talking about Christ followers who have repented and surrendered and gone all in for Jesus. And, you know, as I say every week, you know, I, our, our world is a challenging place. It always has been, and there's challenging things going on in our world right now, right? But here's the thing. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you're not of this world. And you've been given his word. His word never fails us. It never changes. Our Father is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it doesn't matter what happens in this world. We do not have to be shaken. We do not have to be moved. We stand on the solid rock of our foundation, right? Nine weeks ago, we started a series on Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And we know when he writes this, he is in prison in Rome. And most of us would be all down and out. No, man, he's pressing in. The Holy Spirit is just, I mean, just stuff is just flowing through him. And, he, and the Holy Spirit impresses on his heart to write this letter to this church in Ephesus that he helped to found. And as I told you back at week one, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't addressing problems. A lot, of the, a lot of the letters in the New Testament are addressing issues within the early church. He's not addressing issues here. The, the church in Ephesus was doing really well. I mean, they were, they were on fire for God. They were going, I mean, they were all in. But what he does is he, he starts to teach them and to reinforce who they are in Christ. Guys, this is the early church. The church is brand new. It was just birthed. Yeah, at, at the cross, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is just a number of years later. And he's teaching them who they are in Christ. And that's what he does for the first three of six chapters. We get to the fourth chapter, and what he does is he begins to give them practical application of this truth. And this is very important because we can learn all the truth we want to, all the spiritual truth, but we've got to know how that translate into, it translates into our natural world, our natural life today. So we finish the first three chapters about who we are in Christ. And, uh, and so as we talked about week one, we've received the input of the word revealing who we are in Christ. And really that could have been the end of the book of Ephesians. It's great teaching, good stuff. It's stuff that we need to know. But in the last half, we begin applying knowledge in the form of wisdom. What do we say wisdom was? Wisdom is the correct application of truth, right? And so... We've been hearers of the word, now we choose to become doers of the word. And so what does Paul tell us? Now we started chapter 4 last week, and, and in the first half, I think it was up to verse 16, I gave you three things that Paul was saying in, in, in the beginning of, of Ephesians chapter 4. That as the body of Christ in the world, we are one. 
Man, the world would be a different place if the church would get this revelation. Here is the Harvest family. As I say all the time, we are just a community group. We're a small group in the body of Christ. We're not any better than the rest. We're so much stronger when we link together with the rest of the body of Christ. I love that the guys from our community group went this week. We went to Colonial Hills Baptist for a men event, men's event. I got together a couple weeks ago. We, we've been teaming up with, with, um, with Life Fellowship and a couple others with the Dream Center. You guys know we're supporting Trinity Health now and stuff. And, and so I was together with, with Patrick Conrad and Greg Davis from Cornerstone and, and Pastor Troy from City. Guys, we've got to come together. We accomplish so much more together than we do individually. Sorry, I, I'm just on chapter one of re, uh, first point of recap. As the body of Christ, we are one. Number two, each individual member of the body of Christ, somebody say, that's me. Each individual member has been given giftings and callings, and God expects us to step into these. And then number three, God has called us to, somebody say, grow up. God has called us to grow up and mature. These are the things we have to do in this world. So as we talk about growing the maturity, how do we go about that? He wants us to grow up and mature, but how do we, how do we go after this? What does it look like in this world? We're, we are the new creation. We've learned who we are. Remember we talked about positional truth and then the truth of who we are you know, in, in our temporal truth in the world today. We know who we are. Now we have to decide. We have to make the choice to walk in the newness of life. We have to choose to live the reality of what we know and what God's word says. So we're going to continue on. And uh, verse, uh, if, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 17. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along. It's going to be on the screen. There's also, um, you can follow along on the Uversion Bible app. There's a QR code on the chair in front of you. You can just scan that for your phone real quick, and all the notes will pop up on your, uh, on your mobile device, on your phone there. But I'm going I'm to give you three things that I see Paul saying in the rest of this chapter that, that we've got to understand. Number one, as believers, he says, he stresses, we must put away sin and walk in righteousness. We must put away sin and walk in righteousness. Now, that's what the next several verses talk about that. They talk about the importance of putting away sin. Um, and, and guys, this is, this is huge. We, we live... We live in a society where everybody wants to stress, we're, 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 it's, we're a race of extremes. We're, we're either all this way or all this way, and there's, and there's no middle ground. And we realize we've gone too far this way. We swing back, and we go all the way this way, right? And, and guys, here's the thing. The, the church got into this thing where, you know, a, a lot we're talking about grace. Guys, we are saved by grace, and grace is huge. And, and people say, you're a grace preacher. Absolutely. We're saved by grace. Grace is huge in part. But it doesn't, people say, well, that's a license of sin. No. Now we've gone to an extreme. If you're, if you're preaching a grace that gives you the right to sin and do anything you want to because, well, I've already been forgiven, brother, well, then you've missed the point. Walking in righteousness according to the word of God through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is the only way we have the power to put away sin and to walk in the righteousness that God has given us through the new birth. So let's go to verse 17. We're going line by line like we have been uh, right where we left off last week. So Paul says, so this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, let's break this down for a minute. Last week, we talked about how to walk before the Lord, right? 
Remember that? We talked about what it means to our, our walk, our walk in the natural, our walk in the spirit before the Lord. But now we're told how not to walk. Look, if you're going to know how to walk, don't you need to know how not to walk? So look at the beginning of verse 17. Therefore, I testify before you, it says that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles, as the rest of the world does. How many of you know that a Christian can look and, just, and act just like an unbeliever? Absolutely, right? A carnal Christian allows themselves to be ruled by the flesh rather than the spirit. Thus, they look just like the world. And let me be very clear about this as a grace minister. There should be a very definitive distinction between the believer and the unbeliever. I'm not talking about just in the spirit. I'm talking about in the outward walk, in the natural life. There should be a distinction. If you claim to live for God, you need to recognize how much God hates sin. He loves you, and he recognizes how destructive it is in your life, and he hates it. But as Christians, we should show this distinction, a separation in our outward lives because of the knowledge of the word within us and because of the desire to please our Father. Amen? Now, does this happen immediately when we get saved? No, it happens a little at a time. We're all in process, right? A step at a time. We sh- and if we're in process, we should be making progress, right? If you're in the same place now, you were five years ago, you need to check your progress, your process. We should be growing. As you grow and mature, you will go through the process of laying aside sin. People say, well, that, that's why we got to be careful in this because people say, well, uh, I thought Brother Jim Bob was, was a Christian. Did you hear that word that came out of his mouth? No, you better watch it because we're all in process, right? And trust me, you've messed it up. You've probably messed it up at some point today. You did something. You had a bad attitude driving over here. Something. We need to give grace to one another, right? But when you're born again, a seed is planted within you, and that seed begins to grow as you study God's word and you pray. It grows, and as it grows, the new creation life should be manifested in your outward life. The way that you walk, the way that you talk, the way you carry yourself, the way you interact, the way you respond. Those things should be uncontainable. They should start to burst through. If you sin, we ask the Lord to forgive us. And 1 John tells us he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. He promises it, right? We keep on going. But we have to grow up and we have to mature spiritually. And as we do so, there will be less and less room for the flesh. And thus, we will sin less and less, hopefully, along the way. So it's knowledge that brings growth, right? Every day as we grow, as we seek God, as we dig into his word, we find new areas in our life to deal with. And he gives us the strength to deal with those things and to lay these things aside. And eventually, growing up, like, just like a child does, you get to the place where you stumble less and less as you grow and mature. When we're continually filled with God's word, your life will be an example to the world. Now, this verse tells us, as I just said a minute ago, that believers can act just like the world, right? But it's destructive. And let me tell you this, it hurts the work of ministry in the earth. 
How many people have been hurt by the people of God acting carnal? Right? We've been hurt and we've probably hurt others. And here's the thing. It's one thing when an unbeliever stabs you in the back. But a fellow Christian? It's a whole other matter, isn't it? Because it's family. It hurts. It hurts our witness. And it's, I was thinking about this. It slows the mission of God in the earth. Do you guys know that... <laughs> I don't want to chase a rabbit trail. Do you guys know we can speed up the return of the Lord? Yep. We can hasten the return of the Lord? Now, yes, he has foreknowledge of when it will be. Okay, I, I get that. But he's not holding back. We're holding back. <laughs> we, we've got to get our act together. He, he's ready to return as soon as we've done our part. Let, let me move on. We have been given the Holy Spirit and the power of God's word to overcome all temptation and all carnality. So here's the thing. We can't blame anybody else but ourselves when we act carnal. He's given us everything we need to deal with it. When a Christian sins, now remember this, we talked about this back in week one. When a Christian sins, this doesn't mean they've lost their salvation, right? Everybody in here should be really glad of that, right? You haven't lost your relationship with the Lord, you've simply broken fellowship. A child can fall out of fellowship with his mom real quick, right? But let somebody try to do something to that kid. Mama is on it. She's protecting him like a mama bear. Or that kid who's mad and not talking to his mama right now, let somebody talk about his mama, right? He, might, he may not know if he likes her right now, may not be talking to her, but she's mom. You don't talk about my mama, right? Relationship, the relationship isn't broken, the fellowship is broken down. Remember the illustration we talked about back in week one? You got a, a kid who comes home from school, goes right for the cookie jar. Mom says, dinner's ready in 15 minutes. No eating any cookies. A minute later, she steps out, comes back in, and sees his arm in that cookie jar. She says, you go to your room until I call you for dinner. What happens? He comes to the table. His head is down. It's all awkward silence, you know, it's like, you know and, and all this stuff. What has happened? Is she no longer his son? He, she, he no longer her son? No. Just fellowship has been broken. What is she looking for? She's looking for repentance. And then fellowship is restored, Right? Your child is still your offspring, your family. Even if they've disappointed you and currently not speaking to you, it doesn't matter because they're still family. But repentance quickly restores fellowship. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Hallelujah. So, oh, by the way, that verse from 1 John, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Who's writing that? I just said it. John. <laughs> Who is John writing to? He's writing to the church, right? He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to Christians. John knew that he would mess it up. He had messed it up and he was going to mess it up again. But that's all right. He knew that he could quickly repent and that God is faithful and just to forgive him his sin and cleanse him from all unrighteousness. But I would argue this before we go on. I would argue this, that I believe that unbelievers, or I'm sorry, believers that are out of fellowship with God are, are they're more miserable than the unbeliever. When we sin, 
Guys, we should feel a deep conviction that the world doesn't even feel. If you profess to be a believer and you don't feel conviction of sin, (laughs) check yourself out for real. I I mean, repent. I, I plead with you to repent. You might need to rededicate your life to the Lord. You might need to get saved. If you've never felt conviction of sin, it's time to make a change. Something's not right. So he says, don't walk in sin like those in the world. And then verse 18 and 19, he tells us what the world is like, what those in the world are like. So he says, don't walk like any, any more like the rest of the Gentiles walk. In verse 18, he says, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life of God, from the life God gives, because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against them. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. As we are a new creation in Christ, and we have no business looking like the world. Unbelievers live according to the flesh, and they see through that sin nature that's within them. But we are called by God to come out from among them and to be holy, set apart. In the, uh, in the New King James, Paul says in verse 18 that unbelievers, he said, are alienated or separated from the life of God. They're separated because they haven't accepted Jesus, right? So we're told not to imitate the world and its ways because their hearts are hardened against God. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure. They eagerly practice every kind of impurity. So we are told as believers, we must put away sin and we must walk in righteousness. And then what is What does he say next? And I'm going to give you the second point. Number two, he's saying, as believers, we must put on our new nature. We must put on our new nature. So let's let's read the next few verses. Verse 20. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Remember, he just listed all those other things. They, They live for lustful pleasure, practice every kind of impurity. But this isn't what you learned about Jesus. This is what you learned from him. Since you heard about Jesus and you've learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which, was, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Guys, this is key. Verse 24, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Guys, we were created to be like God, to be like our Father. It was demonstrated to us through Jesus. We were not created to be like the world. Now now that we're born again, we need to look and act just like him. And this can be done, as it's saying here, as we have, as we use the mind of Christ, which we find in the word of God. As we think like him, we act like him. Remember last week I gave you Isaiah 33 where it says, wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of your times. Wisdom and knowledge of the Word of God, having the mind of Christ. And if you look at, is that, that verse is still on the screen? Look back at verse, at verse 20. It's interesting here because it says, this isn't what you learned about Christ since you heard about Jesus. It's interesting that in, in this thought here, it uses the word Christ and the word Jesus as if they're separate people. But uh, we, we know that they're not. But, but here's the thing. The purpose of of Having the mind of Christ is to be able to overcome what it is that we encounter in the earth. Now, we have the mind of Christ, but we learn to live like Jesus. 
It's, it's that example I was talking about again of positional truth and temporal truth today. We, look, we were never, we were not commanded to have the, the, the mind of Christ. It says we have the mind of Christ. This isn't something that we can do. When you receive Jesus, you have the mind of Christ. It's not something you try to attain and you work at. You have the mind of Christ. As we have, so as we, we have the mind of Christ, but not the mind of Jesus. If we had the mind of Jesus, you guys know that from the time Jesus was about four years old, we don't hear anything about him until he's about 12, right? We hear the quick story at the temple and then nothing again for, what, 18 years. And all of a sudden his ministry starting. If we had the mind of Jesus, we'd know all them gaps in between. We'd know about his aunts and his uncles and the fields he loved to play in with his friends and everything else. No, we have the mind of Christ, not the mind of Jesus. Does this make sense? But since we have the mind of Christ and we know who we are in him and our rights and our privileges in, in, in his kingdom, guys, it makes all the difference in the world. We know all those things that we talked about in Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, which, again, is the mind of Christ. Therefore, we can actually live out our lives as Jesus would in the earth. Because we have the mind of Christ, we can live like Jesus today. Positional truth, temporal truth. Make sense? When we look at the life of Jesus in the natural, in the natural, we see his life and the things that, that he did, and it seems utterly impossible. But not when you have the mind of Christ. If you have the mind of Christ, when you believe the word, all things are possible. Jesus said that you can perform miracles. He said his followers would do greater works than he did, right? Every day can be a supernatural day. If we're going to live like Jesus, we have to have the mind of Christ. And then look at verse 22. Verse 22 says, throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. But it, then it, it says, instead, renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Let's, uh, look, to put on the new nature, there's some things you need to put off need to take off. The, the, the word that's translated throw off here, or I think it's put off in the, in the New King James, um, it, it literally means to remove as clothing. So you've got a big coat on, you're hot and uncomfortable, you throw it off, right? That's what he's saying here. Throw off your former way of life. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. This is a command, right? This is something that God's not going to do for you. It is our responsibility to put off our old self. God will, look, he gives you the information. He gives you the strength. He gives you the steps. You just got to do it, <laughs> right? He gives you everything you need. You just got to do it. When it, comes to, when it comes to imitating God in the earth and walking as Jesus, we have to take up our responsibility. We have to choose to do it. And then to stay strong and to not fall back into sin, we have to do what he says there, to let the spirit renew our thoughts or be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 
And the word renewed here is actually the same one that we find in Romans chapter 12. You guys are familiar, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'll read it to you real quick. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy to God, uh, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Guys, we make the choice to put on this new nature that he's talking about here. We, 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 we renew our minds. We bring our mind into alignment with our new creation man, our new creation spirit. And, you know, when, when, when we're talking about growing in maturity, how many of you know the battlefield is the mind, right? That's where the battle, that's where the battle occurs, there, there, there is a war going on between your flesh and the new creation man within you. And that war is taking place in your mind, right? So the word of God, through the word of God, we renew the mind. And our desires then begin to come in line with living a godly life in this world. So there comes a point in your spiritual maturity, there comes a point in your growth where you have to step out in faith and you have to tell your mind, shut up. I'm going to believe what God's word says. And sometimes you have to say it over and over and over and over again. And if you tell your mind enough, you don't give them any ground, any slack, your mind's going to begin to believe what you say. It's going to begin to come into alignment. You're going to begin to believe what you're speaking. But we have to do the work. We have to apply the word of God. And here's the thing, as we talked about back in the beginning, and he still gets all, we, we, do, we do this part of the work, but he still gets all the glory and all the honor and all the praise because we can only do this according to what he's already provided. His word, the Holy Spirit. And we begin filling ourselves with the word and doing what it says. We have the ability to do what Paul says in the very next verse. Going to the next verse, verse 25. He says, therefore, because of this, you're renewing your mind. Therefore, put away lying. Each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Guys, when we renew our minds, we find that we have the ability to do these things in the natural. We stop lying and we speak the word of truth. Why? Because we are full of the word of truth as we're filling ourselves with the word of God. And, and you guys do understand that you can be angry and not sin, right? Yeah. Some, some of us hadn't done that yet. <laughs> we hadn't been angry in a way that wasn't sinful. No, no you, you can be angry and not sin. Jesus got angry, didn't he? Did he sin? No, of course not. Of course he didn't. Anger is not wrong if it's directed towards sin and immorality and injustice and the works of the enemy. Anger's not, anger's not sin, right? Jesus was furious with what the religious leaders were doing. He loved the religious people. He just hated religion, right? He loved sinners. He hated sin. He loved the demon possessed. He hated demons, okay? 
He loved the world so much that he went to the cross willingly and he died for the people who were spitting on him and cursing his name. Right? You can be angry at what a person does and not sin. Hating sin, loving people. It's what Jesus did. Matthew 7 talks about um, removing the splinter from your brother's eye. That's, that's, that's a picture of sin. You know, I, I hate splinters. I, man, digging a splinter out, it's terrible. Can you imagine one in your eye? Ooh, Lord Jesus. But, but guys, we're, we're to love our brother but hate the sin. Why do we hate the sin? If our brother had a splinter, big splinter in his eye, we would hate the splinter even if he did something that put it there because it hurts him, because it's impairing his vision. He can't move forward. We love him. That's why we're commanded to help our brother remove the splinter from his eye. Help him get rid of it without doing him further harm. We do it in a loving, gentle way so that he can be restored, have his vision restored, his health restored. This is how we are angry and we don't sin. Guys, it is okay to judge sin, but we're not commanded to judge people, right? If you're angry and bitter with a person, you better watch out because you'll reap what you sow. Doesn't the Bible promise that? See, here's the real issue with judging. When you judge a person, you've just crossed over into God's territory. That's not your job. That's his job. You just said, God, I can do it better than you. He's promised the day's coming. He's going to do it. He's going to take care of it. Right? He's going to judge all people in the end. And guess what? This, this might be huge, but he, he doesn't need our help. Right? He has given us the right to judge sin while in the earth, but not people. Paul says, he goes on to say, don't let the sun go down in your wrath. Anger, when it festers can turn into wrath. Many times that happens because we are hurt and we're wounded. We've taken things personally. We don't deal with it. It festers, turns into wrath. We, what happens is we begin to judge the person rather than the sinful offense, and things begin to change. The moment that happens, we've got to be careful. We've got to ask the Lord to forgive us. And, uh, and to get rid of that, that, that wrath, that bitterness. Uh, we got to stay in an attitude of love toward others, but keep our anger directed toward the works of the enemy. Galatians 6.1, you've heard this before. Galatians 6.1 says from the New Living Bible, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. When you're walking with somebody through something in their life, through a problem or sin, whatever it may be, sometimes you may be tempted to begin to judge them and to view them differently and, and such. But we've got to remember to stay humble. As I said earlier, we have all done stupid stuff. We've all messed it up. We've gotten in the flesh. We've let our emotions take control and done things that we now look back and, and regret. You've got to remember the times that we messed it up ourselves. God was good and he was merciful on your behalf, and he expects us to be exactly the same to those around us. Amen? we got to work to restore people, not to condemn them. 
judge them. And then in verse 27, the last thing he says there in verse 27 is, don't give place to the enemy. Guys, the church has given up too much ground. The word we trans, translate ground here, the word, the word we, we translate when it says place um, is actually the Greek word tapas. It's, it means ground. It's, it's where we get the word topography. If you've ever seen a topographical map with elevation and everything else, it, it means ground. And, and he's saying here, as you grow in maturity, as you grow in maturity, what's happening is you're taking ground. He's saying, don't give it back to the enemy. Don't give it back. Keep making progress and keep taking ground. Don't give up ground. And then verse 28, Paul continues and he says, let him, this is with a renewed mind, let him who stole steal no longer, but let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may, may have something to give him who has need. Guys, very clearly, I think the Bible is clear on this. If you are able and you're not working, rather you're letting somebody else take care of you and your family. Even the government, if you're able and you're not working, you're letting somebody else take care of you and your family, the Bible says you're stealing. First Thessalonians, this is New Testament, guys, says those who don't work should not eat. This mean, does, does not mean, this does not mean that you may not need help along the way somewhere, okay? That's what we're here for. We're here for one another, right? To help us through times that are tough. That's all right. But some people are terribly taking advantage of others. Some are terribly taking advantage of, of, of the body of Christ. Some are terribly taking advantage of the government. I, I, I saw, um, I think I mentioned this a few months ago. I, I saw a thing on the news. They interviewed this guy in California. When COVID started, he lost his job. Instead of looking for another one, he realized how much money he was getting. He loved to surf, so he started living out of his car. By the end of last year, he was living out of his car. It had been for months. He was surfing every day. And had enough money to go get a fast food meal and, and the toiletries and things that he needed. And that's all he did. And he felt perfectly fine with that. Guys, that's stealing. Right? Perfectly able. Young man in his 20s. Just wanted to surf. No, it's not what the Bible says. Did you know that God's plan, as Zach was talking about, God's plan of financial prosperity in your life is spelled with three letters? W-O-R-K. Yes, God wants to bless you. And he's generally going to do that through work. He's going to give you opportunities. Now, we love to talk about the person in the church we met that a, a $500 bill, is there $500 bills? Floated down from heaven one day and blessed them. Guys, it's never happened to me. Maybe it will one day. I don't know. But generally, God blesses us through work. Right? Um, before Adam was given a wife in the garden, he was given a job, <laughs> right? <laughs> he learned the importance of providing before, it was even, before his family was even given to him. Verse 28 also says the chief purpose, it tells us what the chief purpose of the Christian's money is. Look at the end of verse 28. Our chief purpose, that you may have something to give to him who has need. A working, giving believer will end up in God's plan of prosperity. Will. Your bread will come from the work of your hands. 
that God's grace gave you. Three verses left. We're going to wrap up. Verse 29. That'll wrap up chapter 4. Verse, verse 29, Paul says, So let no corrupt word come out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Guys, corrupt words tear down, right? And words of grace build up and edify. Edify just means encourage. Anything that is not encourage is, and, and build up the hearer is corrupt. We have to think before we speak. How many of you have to work at that sometimes? <laughs> is what I'm about to say, does it edify, encourage, and build up the hearer? Guys, our words are part of our witness. There are a lot of people that are hurt and disenfranchised with the church because of corrupt words that have been spoken. Verse 30, two more. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. What grieves the Holy Spirit? I, I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, you know, it can be very similar to the things that your kids could do that would grieve you. Think about how you feel when your kid acts out in a carnal way, contrary to the way they've been raised, dishonoring you, hurting themselves. What does it do? It just grieves your heart inside, right? How often have we done that to our father? How many times we acted this way? And it grieves and hurt his heart, hurts his heart when we don't live according to the way we've been raised through the word of God. When we dishonor him, when we do things that hurt ourselves, it grieves the heart of God. And, and think about, I was talking about believers who are out of fellowship with God. Think about the believer who's out of fellowship. When something happens in this believer's life, a believer, remember, who's out of fellowship, so things happen in their life, they, they generally respond to circumstances. That's how they live their life, responding to the circumstances of life around them. And they can respond in one of two ways. They can respond in a, in a sinful manner, or many times what they'll do is, is try to respond in a way they think, uh, they think pleases God, uh, but, 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 but they do it out of the flesh. You ever done something for God that you did out of the flesh? Both of those responses displease God equally. A carnal Christian many times will do things to try to impress God and others with their good deeds. But God is not impressed with anything at that point except for repentance. You know, the example I thought of, I, I know I keep mentioning kids. But it's, it's like when your kid has done something. How many of you mamas have ever told your kid, when your dad gets home? We're, we're going to have a talk, a little hint here, you're in huge trouble, right? The kid's like, 15, 20 minutes goes by and the kid comes walking through and it's like, mom, you sure look pretty today. <laughs> Did you do something to your hair? She's just like, mom, I'm going to the kitchen, would you like a drink? He's like, no, get in your room. It doesn't matter how many good deeds he does. Doesn't matter. She's looking for recognition of wrongdoing and repentance in the process. 
Sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Deeds done in the flesh with fleshly, motiv- fleshly motivation grieves the Spirit. A passage also, if we look at the previous verse, what's right before it, it also tells us that when we speak corrupt words and words of judgment, it grieves the Holy Spirit. We've got to speak words of grace. We've got to renew our minds. We've got to grow up and mature. Amen? Last verse, verse 31. Let all bitterness... All wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put put away from you with all malice. Again, these are things, this is your responsibility to do this. He's given you the power. He's given you the ability. He's given you the steps. You have to do this. Now, and remember again, this is speaking to believers. Well, you mean believers can be full of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and malice? Absolutely, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, believers can speak evil of one another. And, and, and guys, these things are really a mixture. Going back to, to chapter one weeks ago, we talked about outward sin and inward, inward sin and outward sin. These things describe a combination of those. We have sins of thoughts and we have sins of action, don't we? Bitterness is an inward hatred for others. Even though we may try to hide it from the people around us, you know, I, God knows, right? He knows what's in our hearts. He sees the heart. People may see the outward appearance, but we're not pulling the wool over his eyes. It says, talks about um, wrath. It says, um, wait, bitterness, wrath. Wrath is an outward display of inward bitterness. How many of you been there? You had this inward bitterness that came out as wrath. When, when bitterness finally comes to a head, it displays itself in the form of wrath. So this is when somebody finally blows their top. Many of us have been there. Have this emotional outburst. Could not be contained any longer because this bitterness had been bottled up inside. Um, in this train of thought, he's talking about anger. This is not, not this is a, a sinful anger directed in a sinful way. This is an inward sin when he talks about putting away anger. It's different from bitterness because here's the deal. If you're bitter with somebody, usually it's obvious that you don't like them, right? I don't like you. You hurt me. Usually you're not bitter with a real close friend, but you can be angry. You can direct anger toward them. And anger, if not dealt with, will eventually lead to bitterness. Bitterness to wrath. This anger he's referring to is inward hostility toward others. Then he talks about clamor. And, and clamor is an, is an outward display of anger. It's, it's escalated to the point of yelling and possibly getting physical and maybe even hitting someone. Christians don't do that, right? <laughs> First Timothy, the same word that's translated clamor is used in First Timothy, is written to Christians, and it, it, it says it's referring to striking others. The same word is used in Titus and it refers to brawling. Paul says, put it away. It has no place in your life. And then Paul mentions evil speaking. And this, this is another outward sin. We, we're not to speak evil of others. Anybody, guys. It's grieved me the things I've seen Christians putting on social media about others. Especially our leaders. I don't agree with much of it. <laughs> either. I've got some real issues with things going on in the world right now. 
I have real issues with things going on in our country, but I'm not speaking evil. Not speaking evil of our leaders. I'm praying for them. I'm praying that the Spirit of God will break through in their life like we have never seen before. The Lord will surround them with godly advisors and people who will speak the word of truth. And, and guys, an evil thought may come to your mind. Exercise the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. Keep your mouth shut. Right? Cast down that evil thought. If you entertained it, ask forgiveness. Repent, ask forgiveness. Uh, the last thing he mentions is malice. This is inward, the inward, an inward sin of the thoughts. It, it, it's referring to malicious um, or, or evil intentions. Anytime we have evil intentions towards someone, it's sin, right? And how many of you know that we can even, we can even do something that seems good with evil intentions, Right? I says, well, did you hear about brother so-and-so? His wife is so angry at him, so mad. I think he's got a real problem. He needs to get help. But I'm only telling you this so that you can pray. Well, then keep your mouth shut and pray. Right? Stop telling everybody else about it. Evil intentions. So verse 31 tells us what we're not to do, but our last verse, verse 32, tells us what we are to do. This is how Paul wraps up this part. Verse 32 says, so be kind to one another. Amen to that. Be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Guys, it's kind of, I learned this this week, the word we translate tender-hearted is a compound word from the Greek. The first part means good. The second part means inward parts. It can actually be translated bowels, like good bowels. <laughs> kind of weird. Um, but, but people back in ancient days would have known what this was referring to. This would have meant something to them. And what it is speaking of is a deep, intense, sincere, godly compassion from deep within you toward others. This is what tenderheartedness means. We are to have such a deep compassion for people that forgiveness is never an option for us. It's not an option. We desire to forgive others as Jesus forgave us out of his heart of love and compassion. We are told in this verse to forgive as we were forgiven. And by the way, how long did it take God to forgive you? It's instant, right? He chose to forgive you not to hold your sins against you the moment you sincerely repented. We should do the same. Doesn't mean you won't have to deal with emotions and feelings. It doesn't mean you won't have to go before the Lord about that issue a little later again and, 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 and humble your flesh again. But you choose to forgive. You choose to do so immediately. I forgive. I refuse to hold that sin against them in Jesus' name. If you have to anger, uh, direct your anger, you direct it toward the offense, toward the work of the enemy that's causing that division. This is how compassion, tenderheartedness, treats those who wrong us because that's how our Father treated us. And the first John, John 1, 9 tells us if we sincerely ask him to forgive our sins, guys, he is always faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful in love. He is faithful in tenderheartedness and in compassion. And we should be just as faithful for those around us. This is what Paul's saying. If Jesus can do it, then we can do it because we are the body of Christ.
right? It's him that's within us. We have the mind of Christ, and the Holy Spirit of God dwells within us. Amen? So as we continue in the word, we need to step toward maturity by putting away sin and walking in righteousness, by putting on, making the decision, taking up the responsibility of putting on the new nature, and lastly, we have to keep renewing our minds every single day. Amen? Guys, we're going to continue next week in chapter 5. We're going to talk about walking in love. We're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to talk about marriage, some different things. And so, um, so I'm excited to get into chapter 5 starting next week. But in the meantime, as we conclude here, let me, ask, uh, let me just ask everybody to stand up. I'm going to invite our worship team to, to come on up. And we're going, to, we're going to close out here with a, a prayer and a song. But if you guys would, as you stand, if you would, just, just bow your heads with us here for just a moment. Bow your heads with us. Lord, I thank you that you are such a good, good father. I thank you, Lord, that you, that you loved us first. As we heard earlier, you went first. You saw us in our hopeless position, lost in sin and guilt and shame. And you chose to come as a man. You sent your only begotten son. Jesus, I thank you that you, you willingly went to that cross and you paid the price for our sin. We were utterly bankrupt without you, but you paid the price in full. But because you were sinless, that grave couldn't hold you. And when you ascended to the heights, Lord, we ascended with you. And I thank you that we are seated in heavenly places. I thank you that you have given us everything we need. You've equipped us with every good thing to, 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 to live in this earth and to faithfully to fulfill everything that you've called us to do. You haven't left us high and dry. You've given us the word of God. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're always with us, that you empower us through everything you've called us to. I thank you that there's no mountain too big for you, no matter what we encounter. You're such a good father. I thank you, Lord, for the peace and the hope and the joy that comes with belonging to Jesus. Being your child, Lord. If you're here this morning, and you've heard all this, but you recognize that your life is not surrendered to Jesus. I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm not talking about whether or not you've been baptized. I'm asking you, is your heart surrendered to Jesus? Surrendered to his lordship? Have you put your old self behind? most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And I don't want to close out here without giving you that opportunity. Whether you're here or watching online, I want you to examine your heart for the next few moments here. Who is the Lord of your life? Who is ruling your life? Are you being ruled by your flesh? Are you being ruled by the circumstances of the world around you? Or are you simply following Jesus through the chaos? I love that picture. Mm. 
world may be shaking. It may, be, may look like chaos. But we're just following Jesus right through the middle. Walking step in step with him. Hmm. If you're here and you've never surrendered to Jesus, or maybe you have, the Bible says that you truly repent for living your life for yourself. You choose to put your life aside and to live for Jesus, making him Lord of your life from this day forward that you will be saved. You become a new creation. The old things, that old stuff, the old junk of your past falls away. Doesn't mean you won't have any, encounter any problems in this life, but you'll have the creator of the universe walking hand in hand with, it, with you through it all, and there is nothing that you can't overcome with him. Yeah, it's a matter of heaven and hell. You can be assured if you surrender your life to Jesus, when you take your last breath on this earth, that you're going to be looking face to face into his loving, his loving face. We're going to pray a prayer. Whether you're here in person or online, if you just want to say this with us or you want to just say it in your own words, I encourage you. I plead with you. Please surrender your heart to Jesus today. Just pray a prayer like this. Just say, Jesus, I thank you for coming and paying the price for my sin. I recognize that I am alone and lost and spiritually bankrupt, deserving of God's judgment. But today I recognize, I recognize you for who you are, Jesus, the son of the most high God, the one who willingly gave his life for me, the one who took my sin, my shame, took it upon, you took it upon yourself and you took it to the grave. You paid the price for it. And I choose to be resurrected in life with you, Lord Jesus, that all things would be made new. I choose to live for you this day forward, no turning back. I believe you are who you say you are. You're my Lord, you're my Savior. Just ask the Holy Spirit, just say, Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me, be everything you've called me to be, to do everything you've called me to do. I'll follow you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.